Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, both here in person and online. We are in the fifth week of a series here at Hope on the Holy Spirit. It's an introduction to who the Holy Spirit is, the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead, and also all the amazing ways that the Holy Spirit works in our life. If you have your Bible today, would you please open up and join me in Galatians chapter 5. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5, looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in our life. As you're turning there, I want to elicit your imagination a bit this morning and invite you to an, imagine a scenario uh, that could happen. You never know. Imagine this. The Dallas Cowboys, the, our arch rival, Dallas Cowboys, are pr- playing our home team, Philadelphia Eagles, And it's one of the biggest games of the year. It's the NFC Championship. And the winner of this game is going to advance into the Super Bowl. And I'm just going to go ahead and make a prediction to play the Denver Broncos. All right, it's a stretch, I know. But hey, this is my story. So uh, go with me a little bit. Cut me some slack. Uh, But we'll get back to the game here. Eagles playing the Cowboys. The NFC Championship game. There are only 10 seconds left in this game. And the Eagles are losing. They are down by six points. But the Eagles have the ball. The play is called and the players run up to the line of scrimmage. The crowd is up on its feet. Jalen Hurts yells, hike, gets the ball, fakes the handoff, runs to the outside, plants his feet, arches his back, and throws it as hard as he can. And everybody gasps, what's going to happen? The camera pans to the right. There's a receiver open down the field. He catches the ball, crosses the the goal line, touchdown, Eagles score. Kicking team comes up, extra point is good. The Eagles win. They're on their way to the Super Bowl to play the Denver Broncos. But imagine how you feel in that moment if you're an Eagles fan. Fly, Eagles. How do you feel in that moment if you're a Cowboys fan? Right? <laughs> Yet again. Oh. You had the game till the last seconds. In the sports world, they have a term for this kind of event. It's called a game changer. And there are players who, in the heat of the competition, can literally change the game. The reason I bring this up today is because in Galatians chapter 5, We are going to see uh, in the Christian life that there is no greater game changer that you can know than the Holy Spirit. In the life of a Christian, the Holy Spirit changes the game. You think about it, at the beginning of our Christian life, it was the Holy Spirit who was working in our hearts, who, who empowered us to believe in Jesus, to turn from our sin and receive that free gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit was at work in that moment, bringing us into a new spiritual life. A few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus called this being born of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Holy Spirit has done that for so many of us, given us this new life. In Christ. 
But as Christians, I think we know that the game isn't over. And sin is still present. We still battle those old habits and those old desires from our life before Christ. And even as we're becoming more and more like Jesus, we find ourselves saying things like, oh, I just, I get so impatient sometimes with my kids, or I'm not sure I could ever love that person or forgive that person after what they've done to me. Or maybe you have an addiction in your life to something like pornography, or maybe it's just that you wrestle with this anxiety every day and you don't know if you could ever experience the reality of God's peace. Our transformation is not yet complete. We all battle these sins and desires. But yet, for those believers in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. He's changing the game. He's transforming our life. This is something the Bible calls sanctification. Right? It is the Spirit's power that that brings us into the kingdom, that's called regeneration, but the same spirit that gave us that new spiritual life is also changing our life, and that's called sanctification. We want to look at that today. It's what the Bible calls bearing spiritual fruit through the Holy Spirit. So how do we grow in righteousness? How do we live in victory? That's the question. How do we grow more and more like Jesus? Well, in Galatians, some false teachers had come in and they were advocating this spiritual growth plan that was based on religion. It was based on rules and self-improvement. And when Paul found that out, he got a little bit worked up. And this was his response to the Galatians. In Galatians 3.3, Paul says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's like, what are you thinking? Right? Are you that stupid that having begun by the Holy Spirit that you think you can do this in your own strength? Not at all. Paul doesn't want him to lose sight of the Holy Spirit. In our process of spiritual growth, it is the Holy Spirit who's changing our life. The Spirit of God is the greatest game changer in the life of God of a believer in Jesus. And today, I want to show you that becoming more like Jesus is not a matter of our own self-effort, religiosity, self-improvement, any of those things. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is sufficient for the ultimate transformation of my life and your life. He is powerful enough to do that. Amen? So let's get to it. Galatians 5, 16 to 24. Right? The Spirit of God is setting us free, changing our life. This is what Paul says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you're not able to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's open with a word of prayer. God, thank you that you speak to us in the midst of the, the nitty-gritty of life, in the, the reality of our own sins and struggles. And we all come here clinging to the cross like we sang about. We're so thankful that Jesus is our righteousness. And that by trusting in Jesus, we've received a new life. And sometimes we get caught up living that life in our own strength. But God, I, I pray today that, that our hearts would awaken to the reality of the Spirit's work. And that by being led by the Holy Spirit, you would produce such beautiful things in our life that they would give glory, honor, and praise to you. We give you this time of studying your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're looking at this idea today. The first point, the Holy Spirit has the power to change your life. The Spirit of God is powerful. He is the game changer. And Paul begins making his case here in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Paul says, so I, walk, so I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul is speaking here to a church in Galatia. These are believers just like us. And they want to live for God. They want to obey God. And Paul's writing to them here and he's saying, don't begin to think that you can do that in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, walk by the Spirit. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? First of all, it means that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Right? The Holy Spirit has come alive in your heart. When we believe in Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I see some young people. There is no junior Holy Spirit. Right? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me, lives in all who believe in Jesus. And so Paul says, let's walk by the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God, Let's walk by the Spirit of God. Walk is a picture in the Bible of, uh, of our conduct in life. It's how we move forward in life. And to walk by the Holy Spirit means we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us on this journey. We're walking with the Spirit. We're being led by the Spirit. We become sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings and nudgings and guidance. Walk by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul makes this amazing promise. Do you see it? What's his promise if we walk by the Spirit? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit is God's enabling power against the flesh. 
The flesh is against the spirit. The, the spirit is against the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Verse 17. This is our experience as believers. Paul says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. Paul uses two words here that couldn't be more opposite. We have flesh, we have spirit. What is flesh? To be in the flesh. This is our, this is who people are before they've met Jesus, before Jesus has changed their life. It's, it's, it's what our life is like outside of the saving work of Christ. You could call it our unredeemed human nature or fallen humanity. That's the flesh. And it's a life of sin because the flesh doesn't desire God. It doesn't desire the things of God. But when the Holy Spirit came into our life, something amazing happened. The, the Spirit began to change our desires. And so we're now desiring God. We're desiring this life that pleases God. But these desires of the Spirit are now coming into conflict with those old desires of the flesh, which can still tug at our hearts. So we live in this battle, even in our own hearts, between flesh and spirit. But Paul assures us that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough that if we follow that lead of the Holy Spirit, we will not do the things we want to do in our flesh. The Spirit of God changes our life. He sets us free and transforms us. In verse 18, Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now that's almost surprising because you almost think we've been talking about the flesh. Wouldn't Paul want to say if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the flesh? That's kind of what I would think he would say, but he says you're not under the law. And that should just show us here that for Paul, the flesh and the law, they kind of go hand in hand. Why does Paul mention the law? Because if you know the story of Galatians, the, this message of the law had worked its way into the church in Galatia. And maybe this message of the law has worked its way into your own church experience. The law says if we could just try hard enough, if we could just keep the rules, if we could just be religious, then we would be good enough. And maybe you say, I tried that. I tried hard to get rid of lust. I've tried to control my temper. I've tried whatever, to quit drinking or not to be selfish. And religion would just say, well then, why don't you try a little harder? But Paul, in no uncertain terms, identifies the law as a, as a false solution. It doesn't work. You can't try hard enough. I, I, we're not perfected by the works of the flesh. It's not something we do in our own power and strength. Our life doesn't change by trying harder, but by making a better choice. If you are led by the Holy Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And it's this amazing truth today for every one of us. The Spirit of God has set you free. From the law of sin, from the law of death, we are alive in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit can change our life. There's a great story by D.L. Moody. One time he was speaking to a large crowd, and he held up an empty glass in his hand. And he said, how could I get the air out of this empty glass? 
And someone in the crowd yelled out, he said, oh, why don't you just get a pump and suck out the air? And D.L. Moody was like, yeah, you could get a pump, you could suck out the air, but it would kind of create a vacuum and would shatter the glass. You wouldn't have a glass at that point. So D.L. Moody said, um, if you want to get the air out of a glass, you just need to fill it up with water. And he said in the same way, it is impossible that our life can be transformed simply by sucking out a sin here and there. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the power to change your life. He changes my life. And it's not a matter of self-improvement, self-effort, religion, all those things. It is a matter of beginning to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and direct our life. He's going to start changing our life. So what does that look like? Well, Paul makes two lists. Do we have any list people in the room today? All right, that's right. Power to the list people. Paul makes two lists. The first list is the negative. What is the Holy Spirit leading us away from in that life of sin? So let's begin with that negative side. Paul shows us the Holy Spirit frees us from the acts of the flesh. This is verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So these are simply the kinds of sins that result from a life lived in the flesh. And you'll notice at the end, Paul says, and the like. So we're not getting a complete list here, but this is a sampling of these kinds of acts of the flesh. Now, if you take a second and you look over the list, there's not really anything surprising in this list, is there? Paul begins by saying the acts of the flesh are obvious. It's really obvious what sin is. We all know what sin is. And we even feel conscious of sin as we're doing it. I know that from my own experience. Because sin is sin. We all know the sin in our own heart. And those acts of the flesh, Paul says, they are obvious. He lists them out for us. So just to make the obvious more plain, let's just take a second and look at each one of these. We normally don't go through the list of sins here on a Sunday morning at Hope, but this is what Paul has, has put before us. So let's talk about this for a second. Paul lists out 15 acts of the flesh, and they really break down, uh, as many people have noticed, into four different categories. And I was just noticing as I read it, they break down with the semicolon. So if we have any English people, you, you can see where the categories break down. But there are really four categories, four different ones. There are sexual sins, religious sins, people sins, and sins of drunkenness. We'll just take a quick look at these. The first three acts of the flesh are sexual sins. It lists sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And let's begin with the sexual immorality. Uh, this word, sexual immorality, comes from the Greek word porneia. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's where we get our word pornography. And pornography is 
an example of sexual sin. Sexual immorality is really a broad term for many different kinds of sin. But porneia really refers to any form of sexual activity before or outside of a marriage covenant between a man and a woman. So uh, porneia is really any sexual activity between people who are unmarried. That's what porneia is. The next word is impurity. Impurity refers to unnatural sexual practices and relationships. The last one is debauchery. Not a word you hear very often. Welcome to Hope Community Church. But debauchery is... Um, it's really sexual, sexuality without any shame. Kind of in your face, this pride in sexual sin. Uh, William Barclay defines debauchery as a love of sin so reckless and so audacious that a man has ceased to care what God or man thinks of his actions. So these are examples of some acts of the flesh. And the Holy Spirit wants to set us free from these as we follow his lead. There's another category of sins beginning in verse 20. These are religious sins. Paul mentions two, idolatry and witchcraft. So this would include things like false religion, the occult, uh, new age spirituality, uh, pagan religious practices. Christians, just because it's called spirit or spiritual doesn't mean it's good, godly, or wise. We want to be discerning with all of those things. I think what Paul is pointing out here is that in our flesh, we really turn from worshiping God to other things, or sometimes we just don't worship God. It's our flesh who's like, ah, I just don't want to read my Bible today. Or, you know, that's our flesh. We know that part of it, part of our heart. This is sin because the Bible teaches there's one God, and we're called to love that God with all our heart, soul, mind. The next category is people sins. Paul continues in verse 20, moving from the religious sins to the people sins. And people sins are those acts of the flesh that really hurt and damage our relationships with other people. So listen to these. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. How are we all feeling this morning, <laughs> right? Like maybe you're here today and you're like, wow, I could check off that box of sexual purity. I checked the box of my purity of worship. But if you're here today and you can check off this box, uh, why don't you, you know, maybe just polish your halo for a second while the rest of us talk about all of our struggles, you know? Like this is crazy. I am struck here that of all the categories here, this category has the most words to describe it. And I think it, it, it just shows us how important this is to God, how we treat other people. It shows us how far I fall short of this and how much I need the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to change my life. And I am, I've been asking, okay, God, I've been studying this week. My question is always like, am I relating to people today in the flesh? From that place of impatience, anger, selfishness? Because I find myself doing that all the time. 
and then coming back again to the cross. It is a battle between the flesh and the spirit, and the Holy Spirit, praise God, can change our life. The last category involves sins of drunkenness. Now, you might ask, Pastor Brian, is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? Is drinking alcohol a sin? And the answer is, no, it's not. It's not a sin to drink alcohol uh, unless it is causing drunkenness or unless you're causing other people to get drunk. Um, drunkenness is mentioned in verse 21. So we are to drink but not get drunk. And also orgies, which, by the way, is just wild parties where people go to get drunk. So there's all kinds of go together. It's all sin there. But we need to recognize that the reason Paul lists out 15 acts of the flesh, wow, is because sin is a big deal to God. And Paul really ends this paragraph with the word of caution. Verse 21, Paul says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a really hard passage for us this morning. See, it is because of sin that we're separated from God. And it's literally because of these sins that people will spend an eternity separated from God in outer darkness. And Paul is just warning us today that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? I mean, who, who is that me? I'm a Christian. What is that saying? I don't think Paul is talking here about Christians who sin occasionally while they're becoming transformed to become more and more like Jesus. Paul says it's those who live like this. He's talking about people who are okay living comfortably this life of the flesh. And Paul's just saying to us, hey, this is a really dangerous place to be spiritually. And every one of us has been there. Every one of us has done this things, these things. And it's what brings us to the good news of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay the price for our sin. We sang it this morning. He bore our burden of sin so that by trusting in Jesus, right, this is not religion, this is not self-effort or self-improvement. No, we are saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the moment you place your faith in Jesus, this is incredible, not only is your sin forgiven, but you receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We stand blameless before him and before his throne. That is our justification. And now he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, goes to work in our sanctification, the, life, the transformation of our life. But there is no salvation apart from the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so he ends with this strong warning. I warn you, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It brings us to Jesus. We need forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ. And praise God that we have received that as Christians today. So that's the one list. Right? The Holy Spirit is changing our life, producing Christ-like character. What does it look like? The Holy Spirit set us free from some of these acts of the flesh and we are moving into the freedom that the Holy Spirit has brought us. And then Paul makes this other list called the fruit of the Spirit. And I love this. Uh, my wife is always talking to our kids. She's like, okay, is that good fruit or bad fruit? 
And we use that language around our house, so that's good for parents. Hey, is that good fruit or bad fruit? And you can, you can use that language. Paul talks here about the fruit of the Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who produces in us this fruit of the Spirit. And now, when most of us think of fruit, probably think of like an apple or a banana, maybe blueberries. Uh, there's a, a town not far from here called um, Hammond, New Jersey. It's known as the blueberry capital of the world. I don't know if you've been there before, but my wife loves to go to Hammond, New Jersey to pick blueberries in the summer. And uh, right now, those blueberries are growing. It is in, we're in a growing season right now, and in just a couple of months, we'll be able to go and pick those, those fresh-picked blueberries. But Paul's not talking here about a fruit that you can kind of throw on your cereal or put in your lunchbox. He's talking here about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is producing in our lives transformed character that reflects Jesus Christ. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. The Bible calls this the fruit of the Spirit. And I hope you encur this encourages you today as a Christian who has the Holy Spirit. You are in a growing season. You are growing. You are being transformed today. That's amazing. Our life is being changed every single day to be more like Jesus. I also am encouraged by the fact that we don't grow this fruit. It's not a result of our energy and effort. It's the Holy Spirit who grows this fruit. And he is sufficient for the ultimate transformation of our life. He sets us free. He changes us. So Paul gives us this little inside peek of what the Holy Spirit can do. Check this out. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When we read this list, we get a vision for who we want to be. I don't know about you, but when I read this list, this is who I long to be. I long to be a person of love, joy, and peace. I long to have patience, kindness, and goodness. I long to be marked by faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't you? Wouldn't we all? See, within this list, we see the incredible characteristics of the fully abundant life. We see Jesus in this list. Now, not surprising, the top of the list, the very first fruit is love. Jesus taught us that the whole law of God can be summarized in two commandments. Do you know what they are? Love God, love people. And God has brought the Holy Spirit into our heart to empower us to live a life of love. Love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest of these is love. After love comes joy. When the Holy Spirit fills our heart with joy and produces this fruit in our life, it is not dependent on our circumstances. Joy does not depend on whether we get the promotion or not. Joy does not depend on, oh, do I work with that person today or don't I work with that person? Joy doesn't depend on, did I get an A this year in biology or did I get a C in biology? No, our joy is in the Holy Spirit. 
When your joy is in the Holy Spirit, nothing can take that away. He's producing that fruit in your life. We live with joy in all situations, all circumstances. Rejoice always. Paul says it. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And peace. Peace is a lot like that. Peace is that inner calm that the Holy Spirit brings to our heart because we're trusting in God. It's recognizing that God is in control. He fills our heart with indescribable peace, peace that passes understanding. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when we have that peace in our heart, it helps us to be a little bit more patient. Some have noticed that the first three fruits of the Spirit are more about our vertical relationship with God, and now we're moving here to our relationships with other people. You guys ever get in a situation or around a certain person who makes you kind of impatient? Please don't elbow the person next to you. Maybe it's something is taking too long. Why is that car going so slow? Why am I in this long line? Whatever it is. Or maybe it's just somebody's not doing what you've asked them to do, moms and dads. But the Holy Spirit can give us patience so that we can remain calm and, <laughs> wow, not get annoyed, not get upset. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we're being led by the Spirit, He produces this fruit of the Spirit. Kindness. I love this. In the letters of Paul, kindness most often represents God's kindness to those who don't deserve it. And that's me. I don't deserve God's kindness. That's you. This is the grace of God. His kindness leads us to repentance. And we can also be kind to others too. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Up next is goodness. Goodness through the Holy Spirit becomes a quality of our life. Our life is characterized by a quality of goodness. We act towards others out of the goodness of our heart. Now, all my good reformed brothers and sisters are going to remember Paul when he says, um, nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, right? Nothing good dwells in us. That is in our flesh. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, God is producing in us a quality of goodness that reflects the work of the Holy Spirit and brings great glory to God. There's a goodness in our life because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is a steadfast loyalty that isn't easily swayed. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I remain faithful to God. Regardless of what the culture says, I am faithful to the truth of the word of God. I remain faithful to my spouse. And this covenant of marriage, faithfulness, we don't back away from serving the needs of people around us because it's actually God who is always faithful to me and to you. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness. I love this quality of gentleness, and I, I really seek to practice this with my son and with my daughter, just as a dad, and I'm, I'm truly inspired. Uh, as I was becoming a dad, I read 
this book by John Wooden, who was a legendary coach. And John Wooden really believed that nothing is stronger than gentleness. And he actually saw that reflected in his own dad. His dad was a strong man, but he was a gentle man. And Wooden would say to this, he would say, it takes a lot of strength on the inside to be gentle on the outside. And that strength on the inside that Wooden's talking about is the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes us strong on the inside so we can be loving, joyful, patient, kind, good, all those things on the outside. Got to be strong on the inside to be the person God has called us to be on the outside. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, producing this fruit in our life. It finally ends with self-control. Thanks for hanging in with me. Fifteen sins and nine fruits of the Spirit. Good work. Last one, self-control. It finally ends with self-control. And I was just thinking, like, why does self-control at the, come at the end? And could it be that it comes last because... A lack of self-control could undermine every other virtue on this list. I think that's true. That a lack of self-control really does undermine the virtues on this list. So it's, we, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to strengthen our self-control muscles. I also notice here that here at the very end, look, we have a part. The self matters. The self has a role in this. Um, it's not by our works, it's not by the effort, but here at the end, the self has a role, but only as it comes under the power and control of the Holy Spirit. We don't change our life. The Holy Spirit transforms our life, but we have a part to play in that. The Holy Spirit is sufficient for the ultimate transformation of our life. He's setting us free from that old life, from those works of the flesh, and he's producing in us the character qualities of Jesus, which we call the fruits of the Spirit. So today, as we close, we come to the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a great opportunity for us to look at our lives and to come to God and say, God, would you, would you show me what's being produced in my life? Would you shine a light today on... on What's growing in my life? Are there sins in our life today? We just saw a whole list of sins. And what do we do? We confess those. And we thank Jesus that on the cross, he has forgiven all of our sin. Do we desire greater fruit? I desire greater fruit today. We just saw a whole list of fruit. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to do a greater work in our lives. He is powerful enough. He's changing your life. We are in a growing season, church family, producing this fruit. As we come to the table, we come to the cross. We come to the body broken and the blood shed that washes away all of our sin. Jesus lifted that burden. He sets us free by the Holy Spirit so we can, as God's children, reflect him more and more every day 